Welcome in, Colorado fans, on this Sunday, the day after Colorado loses to Cal in double overtime, 59-56. I'm Adam Munster-Tiger, publisher of BuffStampede.com, joined by senior writer Ryan Konigsberg. Ryan, uh, one of those games, again, you kind of get into the moral victory territory, but yet the players and the coaches, you see it on their face, they don't feel like this was a victory on any level. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it's a moral victory for me because... I spent three and a half, four hours on my Saturday thoroughly entertained by a good football game, which you haven't been able to say too many times, especially when you're on your couch and not up there in the press box when they're on the road. So, you know, I think there's just so many good things to take away from that game that it's hard to, you know, bash um, too many things about that Buffalo's performance. So, yeah, I mean, I know that, you know, it's McIntyre's second year and these players want to win games and he wants to win games. But in a sense, you do you do still have to look at the positives at a time like this for this program. Yeah, and uh, you, you watch the post-game reaction. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to cover the, the road game. I'll be out at some other road games this season. But you saw Mike McIntyre referring to this as an absolutely gut-wrenching loss for them. Spruce called it the toughest loss that he's experienced as a buff. And you saw Cepho... He's the last guy on this team that's going to accept a moral victory. I think we've come to accept that at this point. But, yeah, the, this is really the fourth straight week the Buffs have shown fight. Really kind of uh, taking their fight song to heart because no matter what the situation is, when Cepho throws that pick and Cal goes down and scores a touchdown, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, this game's over. And they go down the field and Cepho connects with Bryce Bobo, really quickly on that drive. They end up going uh, to overtime, and they continue to fight. Uh, we're going to get into the highs and lows. We, we often run that feature on Sundays, and I fig- figured an audio version of that would be maybe better this week. Do you want the, the highs or the lows first? Uh, give me the good news. The good news, the good news. Well, it was really a record-setting day for Colorado. 14 combined passing touchdowns by Cephal Lufau and Jared Goff tied an FBS record. CU tied its most uh, first downs in a game with 39, with uh, 629 yards of offense. It marked the first time CU topped 600 yards in a game since 2007. And I was uh, frantically searching after the first quarter when Colorado scored 21 points. I go, I can't remember the last time Colorado scored 21 points in the first quarter. So I was going back game by game by game. And, of course, Dave Platt <coughs> beat me <laughs> out in Berkeley. And uh, the last time they scored 21 points in the first quarter was against Texas A&M in 2005. So he was uh, gotten over 400-plus yards in four straight games. That's the first time they've done that since 2001. Nelson Spruce breaks his own record from a week ago with 18 catches against Cal. He had 13 catches last week against Hawaii, so he basically shattered his own record a week later. 19 catches. 19 catches, okay. And so uh, now he has at least one touchdown in seven straight games, adding to his own record. So a lot of records broken in one game. I guess when you score 56 points and you lose by 59 points, there's going to be some records broken within that game. Uh, Talk a little bit about just kind of the onslaught of offense that transpired yesterday. Yeah, I mean, that, that's another thing that just made it so fun to watch. Um, this offense was just moving the ball. It seemed like you would blink and they would go from, you know, their own 40 to the other team's 30, and they were just being so successful in the air. And Cepho, it looked like he had, to me, it looked like he had a lot more zing on his throws yesterday. Yeah. Um, there wasn't that thing that we've been talking about all year where it seems like even when he was hitting the receiver, it was a step late. 
it seemed like, I don't know if it's Lindgren coaching it or just him making a point watching film, he made a point to himself that he needs to get behind those throws, and he was definitely throwing them in there. So, I mean, it was just crazy to watch, and, um, you know, when the Buffs squandered their lead and gave up 21 straight points to start the half, you thought, all right, they have one chance to go back and tie this game or else it's going to get away from them, and obviously they, they uh, scored on that drive, which was really impressive to me and it goes back to that fight point that you made yeah they there's every time you think oh this is the time this is when they fold and crumble and everything goes down the drain um and every time i've had that feeling this year they've answered and yeah. come back so i think you know that and see it's you teams in recent years never did that exactly seemingly that's why you know you have that feeling all right there it goes you know they're gonna start hanging their heads and they really just aren't doing that this year which is a huge step in the right direction, I think. Of course, looking at the Stampede Elite message board after the after the game, it was interesting to kind of get the the pulse of the fan base. And you saw by quite a few people, their general message was, "I am absolutely torn apart." Thank you, Colorado football, for doing that. Not that they want, obviously wanted Colorado to lose, but to be that invested into a football game. When you get into conference play in recent years, Colorado, I mean, you're, you're you're basically laid back on the couch, depressed by the time the second half kickoff comes. And this week, you're on the edge of your seat. You're biting your fingernails. You're pacing around your living room. And that hasn't happened. So I think that falls into the highs category, even though at the very end, the the, the you know, as McIntyre said it perfectly, gut-wrenching. Yeah, I, and that's just, I mean... How many times has that happened in recent memory where you, you know, in the fourth quarter are grabbing into the edge of your seat and screaming up and jumping up and down? You know, I was watching with a couple of friends who are just going absolutely crazy. And it's like, wow, this this is this is nice to see. It's good. to. I mean, even though it's so heartbreaking at the end for Colorado yeah. fans, it's so nice to see, you know, just the joy and jubilation that was coming, you know, last second touchdown to Bryce Bobo. It's just like. It's one of those games that you have to look back in a few years and, be, and say to yourself, that's one of the better games I've watched in a long time. As journalists, you have to be unbiased on some level. It, it's harder when you're watching. I was watching the game in the comfort of my own living room yesterday. And on the fourth down play in double overtime where Colorado has a ball at the one-yard line, I found myself watching the game between my fingers. <laughs> I was hiding my face. <laughs> And it's just it's a natural reaction when you when you have when you've covered a team that has suffered as many tough losses and blowout losses as they have into battle against a, a, an improved Cal team. And uh, this Cal team is not going to compete for the the Pac-12 North, but it's it's a pretty good football team. This is still a Colorado team that has not won multiple road games since the 2007 season. So th- there, there's a lot of factors that. Make this game uh, more of a more of a moral victory type of game than it really should be. And I think whether you like it or not, you know, we're out there every every week at practice, you know, talking to these coaches, talking to these players, and you do build relationships with them. And, and you know, you see a guy like Nelson Spruce just go out there and give such a hell of an effort, and, and you want the team to pull through and get a victory for someone, you know, who goes out there and just leaves absolutely everything on the yeah. field. You know, that first, that third touchdown catch he had where, you know, that probably should have been an intercepted ball, and he just, you know, goes up and takes it away. And, yeah, like you said, in the end of the game, you're like, all right, come on, they got to get this one. Yeah. You know, you're pulling for them. So, I mean, whether you like it or not, it's tough for us to see that go down, too. 
Moving along with the highs, Sefo Lufau, I think without question his best day is a buff so far. 46 for 67, 449 yards passing, seven touchdowns, a team high 72 yards rushing. I don't know if I ever thought I'd say that <laughs> in, in uh, correlation with Sefo Lufau. He'd obviously like to have pass number 56 back. And I tweeted out at that moment that a great game might have just been ruined by one throw because that interception led to Cal's leading touchdown with 229 left in regulation. But then he comes back and he completes a 30-yard touchdown to Bryce Belbone. And at that point, I said, okay, the pass number 56 and the interception, is that, that slate is wiped clean here as you go into overtime. It wasn't we're going to look back to that interception because he – no, he kind of equalized that with, with that pass to Bryce Bobo. Yeah, you know, that's something that you really uh, love to see out of a quarterback. Short-term memory and, you know, get that last one out of your head and go ahead and just go down there and lead your team. And I think um, as a coach, Mike McIntyre has to be thrilled to see that from uh, a quarterback who, you know, we've seen him a lot, but he's still a young quarterback. Um, and and you that's asking a lot of a guy to, you know, he probably felt like he threw away the game on that pass too. And... You know, when he gets another chance to go out there and not force anything, not make any stupid throws, and go down there and just run the offense the way you've been doing it all day is really impressive. I'll await my letter from Cepho for choosing him as my pick to click. That's that's three for four this year. Um, I, I was def- actually going to bring that up, but you don't need prompting to, to boast. No, really. no, definitely not. Um, I definitely did not see 449 yards and seven touchdowns. But I did say at least 300 yards and three touchdowns, so you know it's just almost double what I said. But I, I think you know that's a really big game for him, and he did look uh, a little bit uh, mobile out there, which was something that the coaches said he worked on a lot in the off season, and we didn't really see it that much. But um, it seemed like they had been setting up for him to to run with one for so long, and he finally, you know, gets one, and he had a little wiggle there. He uh, he juked a safety out. That that was kind of impressive to me. I feel like he looked athletic, but there's got to be an asterisk right there because there were a couple plays where you're like, he's got a a good gallop, but it's not quite in the dual threat mode by any any sense. So he set a new single-game CU record in passing attempts, completions, touchdown passes, and total offensive yards. Like you said, when you made him your pick-to-click, I think part of that was Cal's defense, and they're not very good, and they're going to struggle the rest of the season against Pac-12 offenses. But when you looked at Cepho, we watch him under a microscope, and you, you, in my head, I'm kind of going like, what percentage of his passes are right on the money? And there was a higher percentage of those passes in this game than I think at any point in the past. He definitely missed a few throws, but by and large, I mean, no quarterbacks aside from maybe Peyton Manning, a few quarterbacks are going to be perfect. He was close to that. Yeah, I, I crack up when I read the message board this morning and someone goes, yeah, he had a nice game. And I'm like, what were you watching? This is a college quarterback who, yeah. you know, is a sophomore. He hasn't even played a full season of games yet, I still don't think. And he had a nice game. I mean, he, like you said, he's not going to be perfect, but, man, he made a hell of a lot of throws out there that were right on the money, and he got through some tight windows, and he made... One terrible throw the whole game out of uh, 67. Yeah. You'll take that any day. I think to his own detriment, Sefo, because he's so mature, maybe we expect more out of him. Do you think that's the case? The I, case? Maybe. I, I just think you – I mean, he is so mature, but you got to just look at the way he, he plays on the field, and he played well above 
anything we've seen from him yesterday. I, I, I was laughing this morning reading that because I think he deserves a lot more credit for that performance. Well, I was on uh, the radio show we do on Mile High Sports Radio, and Michael Clark, uh, my co-host, said, this is a bellwether game for Colorado. And I said, I think it's a bellwether game for Cephalufau because we had seen so much inconsistency out of him leading up to this game. And all of a sudden now it's like he's really got to screw up the rest of the season not to maintain the starting quarterback job. He showed enough in this one game, I think, to really boost his stock in terms of his standing on the depth chart. Yeah, if you remember when we were doing the picks to click, I mentioned, you know, he's on the fence right now. He's either got to go make a step forward and grab onto this job or he's going to fall off that fence and they're going to have to make a change. And he did everything he had to and much, much more to show, you know, Mike McIntyre, Brian Lindgren, and every single person in the Colorado fan base that this is his job and he's not giving it up. Moving to the defensive side of the ball, Tedrick Thompson recorded his third interception of the season, the most by a CU strong safety in a season since Michael Lewis had five in 2001. But he's suffered that bruised sternum early in the game. He's listed as day-to-day right now. Um, day-to-day usually means they're going to be back the next week. But, man, they missed his presence in that game. And uh, going into the season, Tedrick Thompson was one of those question marks. He's really established himself as one of the better players with Addison Gillum's game stepping back a little bit. Josh Tupo not really living up quite to the preseason hype. He's gotten better. He's He's been a solid defensive tackle at the Pac-12 level the last few weeks. Don't get me wrong. But you talk about Tedrick Thompson really coming on the scene. And as much as I thought he had started to play really well, you didn't really notice exactly how well he'd started to play until he got hurt and he wasn't out there. Yeah, I think um, without any question that he's been the best player on defense this year uh, for this Colorado defense, which is improved. And it starts, you know, back there with him. He is just flying up there and making tackles. You know, even getting a couple guys in the backfield in a couple games. And, um, you know, he's closing on the ball so well. And, you know, he's doing things that you would expect from a senior safety that you're getting out of your sophomore safety. And I think that you have to be really, really excited about that when um, you're, you know, you're a Colorado fan. I know Jared Bell said... um, Tedrick Thompson used to go up to him on every single play and ask him a question. And now, you know, he's the one who the other players are going to and asking questions. That's a huge thing, you know. Mike McIntyre talks about players starting to get it. You can definitely see that Tedrick Thompson is one of those guys who's getting it now. I think part of the reason I didn't expect a ton out of Tedrick this year is because you look back to remember Ray Polk had all the physical tools. And you go, gosh, he should be great. He should be like an all conference type of guy and it never really came together for him until late in his senior year and then he starts to get hurt and he's not out there with Tedrick you see this you see that light bulb turning on for him as a true sophomore it's really incredible and he's got those physical attributes I mean this is a future NFL guy I don't think that's a stretch to say even as early as it is in his career uh, moving on to, to, to more high Stefan Nembot he had that holding penalty but again the last three weeks, gradually, it's funny, I I noticed him more for good reasons than bad reasons, and it was never that case before. Yeah, he went out there on one play that really opened my eyes, and I think it was a screen pass to Michael Adkins, and Stefan Nemba flew out there to, to lay the lead block, 
And that's one of those things where you just you kind of see him, you know, really try, really giving a hundred percent effort. And I know a couple people on the message boards, especially last year, I saw this a lot. People were thinking that he was taking plays off and not really going full out. Well, yesterday when he went out there and threw that block, I don't think you know that kind of opened my eyes that he is fully invested and he, you know, is really on the right track, which uh, I think was something that a lot of people were worried about. Uh, another guy that uh, impressed me yesterday is Kenneth Crawley, uh, a guy that we talked a lot about leading into the season that had made huge strides. And part of me was a little bit apprehensive to kind of buy stock in Ke- Kenneth Crawley because we had uh, been uh, fooled in the past. But all of a sudden, this guy has ball skills. Yeah, you know, uh, Chita Bayouze said in the Tuesday press conference, you know, we love it when teams try and throw at us, you know, come around and sling it at us and try and throw it deep on us. And obviously Jared Goff had some success, but also, you know, you saw those those guys out there making plays. Obviously the first play of the game, you know, Tedrick is making an interception, and then you see Kenneth Crawley just all, it seemed like he was all over the place, and anytime the ball went up, if you saw that number two tracking the ball, you had a good feeling that he was going to make a play. Um, you and I talked about this um, earlier in the season, and I'm not sure if we talked about it on Buff Stampede Radio or in any of our video segments, but at so many other schools, these four-star corners aren't expected to come do anything until yeah. their junior season. And it's kind of unfair for Kenneth Crawley that he had to go out there and do it all as a freshman. And, I mean, obviously that's part of the reason he came to Colorado is he wanted to play right away. But I think you see that now that he's a junior, and that's when a lot of players do have to step in at, at bigger schools where they have these good guys, it's starting to click for him. And I think that makes me realize that one of these days Colorado's going to get to a point where those four-star guys don't have to come in until they're a junior, or, you know, whoever it is doesn't have to come in until... If, if they can start to get some four-star guys. Right, exactly. So I think, you know, that's really encouraging to see him take that step forward this year because it kind of opens your eyes to um, realize that, you know, you shouldn't judge a player as a freshman. Bryce Bobo scores his first career touchdown. I, I talked a little bit about that earlier when we were talking about Cepho. George the Train Frazier... With two touchdowns in the first half, three in two weeks, all of a sudden this guy is starting to open up things for them in the red zone. Yeah, man, he is so fun to watch. He's just such a beast that, you know, he just he's just rumbling, bumbling, stumbling all over the field. Um, and I still, you know, you can get into that. I'm sure we'll get into the uh, play calling there at the end. I, I think they should have used him as a decoy down there since he had had so, so much success. I think the other... Uh, the defense was kind of keying in on him, but it's still nice to see, you know, them having that weapon out there. He's so big and he's pretty athletic for that size, so it's good to see him, you know, break through. The tight ends, my pick to click, they combined for four catches for 46 yards and two touchdowns. And if you include Tyler McCulloch, which uh, Mike McIntyre talks a little bit about how they use him kind of as a move tight end would, if you combine him in there, uh, my pick to click would have uh, combined for 10 catches for 115 yards and two scores. Do you give that to me? Yeah. Do you give uh, me the Tyler uh, McCulloch? You don't even need the Tyler McCulloch. <laughs> so uh, either way, I don't know. When was the, is, that, is that the first time we've ever both got our picks so. to click? I really do. I think that's the first time. Good. Good for us. <laughs> Well, we've been pretty Pollyann up to this point. Am I am I missing anything when we talk about highs in this game? Um, you know, I think Didi Goodson had a good performance. Um, he had that one drop, but that's a really tough catch, and there maybe it was a pass interference there. I think that was the one that they picked it up, right? Yeah, I'm trying to think back. The, they, the DB had his hand in there. I don't think 
that really was a, a penalty. Um, but Didi still probably should have pulled that in. Yeah, other than that, you know, I thought he ran some good routes on third down. He had that touchdown in the back corner. I don't know why they throw the back corner fade to the smallest receiver they have, but I guess it worked on that one. So uh, They tried with uh, with Donovan Lee at one point, too. Yeah, I don't I don't know. What they, they, yeah, because about. they're so small, they're just like swallowed up by those DBs. Yeah, usually. I'd much rather see Tyler McCulloch running that route, but or obviously Nelson Spruce. But um, other than that, yeah, I think we covered most of it. Um, we talked some about Nelson Spruce. I don't know if we talked enough about him though. Yeah, he's so good. It's incredible. You know, I was texting a friend after the game, and we were talking about the uh, play calling down there, and I was like, I'm pretty sure. Nelson Spruce could get open against Richard Sherman. I don't know why you're not using him on the goal line there. <laughs> he is going to get open some way, somehow. It's it's kind of funny looking back because we spent so much of this offseason talking about how in the world can Colorado replace Paul Richardson because we had visions of the year that P. Rich was out with that torn ACL not too long ago, 2012, so it wasn't that far back. But there's a really good chance that Nelson Spruce will end up having a much better career than P. Rich did. P. Rich... Obviously left early for the NFL. He had knee injuries twice in two different seasons. One sidelined him for an entire year. And Nelson is not anything like P. Rich in terms of the speed aspect, but it's consistent. It's like you can depend on him almost every down. If you need a if you need a, a first down on third down, you know 22 can get that for you. P. Rich. He would drop passes sometimes. He was not that dependable of a receiver. And he was Peerage isn't a guy you're set, you want to send over the middle and you know risk him getting hit. Nelson Spruce, you can send him wherever you want, and he's so surgical with his routes. Um, I urge anyone. It's hard to see on broadcast because you know they're they're so focused in on the ball. But you know this week against Oregon State, when you're in the stadium, just watch Nelson Spruce for you know three or four plays in a row, and just watch how good he is at his routes and how everything he does is to a science you know if it's third and four he runs that route four and a half yards and he's right there waiting for the ball he comes back to the ball perfectly when you know it's not a situation where he has to get those yards it's one of those things where if you watch him for three or four plays you will be in awe at how how hard he works and how well he does what he's doing well we're at risk of being uh, Pollyanna right here on this show so we've got to I mean, at the end of the day, Colorado loses this football game. So there's plenty to talk about as far as the lows go. And the first thing you've got to talk about is fourth and goal at the one in double overtime. Miscommunication was the widespread message between McIntyre and Nelson Spruce and Sefo Lufau in the post game. When that happened, I, I was ready to pull my hair out trying to figure out why Sefo Lufa was keeping the ball in that situation. So I think on some level, it's encouraging to know that something went wrong, that that's not actually what they wanted to happen there. Yeah, I, I guess that's one way to look at it. But the, the we've obviously never seen them run that play. Um, in my mind, that was a play they put in recently. I don't know. I think it was one of those things that they feel like they've been setting it up all year with the way that they've been running down there. And to me, I just don't think that's the time to go to a play that you don't, you haven't run a thousand times in practice and know that it can get you one or two yards. I think, you know, you've got to have a play as an offensive coordinator that you say, all right, when we get down here and we run this, I know every single guy is going to know exactly what he needs to do. And Nelson Spruce is going to get open and he's going to score a touchdown or, you know, Sean Irwin, whoever it is. 
So you got to have one that you know this works. And um, I just thought that's that's a disappointing play call there, and I don't I don't know if Mike McIntyre disagrees with me. The look on Mike McIntyre's face, uh, reading between the lines, made me think that it was one player that just was not there on the pitch out. And uh, it is what it is. It's college football. It's part of the reason we like it. I love the NFL, but, man, that is a polished game. You don't see that stuff ever happen. It's part of why we love college football. You just don't want it to be your team that has it happen to it. And these coaches make a, a lot of money, and they they get the responsibility for things like this. You know, it, it's kind of the way the dominoes fall in college football. And so if, if the guy that's on the field – that's uh, part of this miscommunication doesn't make the, the right play, then unfortunately the buck kind of stops short with the, the, the coaches. It's kind of the way it is. Yeah, and I don't want to put anything into anyone's head that isn't there, but I could have sworn I read Mike McIntyre's lips and he said, how do you call that there? So okay. I, I don't, I mean, I'd have to watch it over and over again, but that's what my first reaction was when he was Your yelling. amateur lip reading. Right, when he was yelling into the, uh, the microphone. I thought that's what he said, but... Whatever it is, you know, I like you said, it's college football and that sort of thing happens. It's just you gotta think you don't you go to a play at that juncture in the game that you know that's not gonna happen. Moving along with Lowe's from this Colorado loss in Berkeley, Will Oliver, 0 for three. He was four for five coming in, seventy one percent in his career. One of the more consistent guys on this football team throughout a rough stretch in Colorado football, and he really took this loss hard. He I mean, as well he should, I guess. He's a place kicker that missed three field goals, and any one of those would have uh, theoretically won the game in regulation. And he was fighting back tears in his post game. This is not uh, leading to a place kicker controversy. There's not a better place kicker on this roster, Ryan. So we're going to see Will Oliver back out there again this week against Oregon State. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's funny because Mike McIntyre compared it to his golf game in his post-game press conference. And I don't know why it is, but I always compare special teams to my golf game, too. Um, you know, some days you, you really just don't have it. And it's all about, you know, hitting the ball in the correct place and, you know, keeping your form. And it's so mechanical. And uh, some days it's just not there. Um, honestly, I thought, you know, it showed a lot of trust for Mike McIntyre to send him out there for a third field goal. Um, if I'm the coach, I don't send him out there. I think, you know, um, after the second kick, you kind of realize that it's not his day. Um, it's so mental that it's going to be in his head. I think you say, all right, well, you pat him on the back and say, you know, good day. Uh, you just don't have it today. I think we're just going to try and go for it here. Um, that's personally what I would have done just because, you know, it is like golf, and it's so mental that every time you get up to your next shot, you try and forget about the last shank that you hit, but you don't. So um, it's a tough day for Will Oliver. Um, I had a couple of people tweet at me saying he's been – Horrible his whole career. I don't know where no, in the no. world they get 70, that from. 71% is pretty pretty solid for a college kid. Yeah, exactly. You know, he's not going to go 24 out of 25 like Matt Prater went last year. But, um, you know, he's a college kicker, so you can't expect that from him. Um, he's not been horrible his whole career. He hasn't been exactly um, automatic from 40-plus, but from in, he pretty much has been. Um, and... You know, like you said, he's going to be out there next week, and I'm sure, you know, he'll go two for two or whatever. It's just like one game thing that it just happens. Maybe those folks just were spoiled with Mason Crosby. It's hard to, to say why anybody would say Will Oliver hasn't been very good throughout his career. In fact, uh, I think most fans would say he's been one of the brighter spots on the team until, obviously, this week in the Cal game. 
Special teams uh, continuing with lows. Kickoff coverage, again, kind of an issue when they go away in Folsom Field. They're able to force touchbacks. It wasn't quite as epic a failure as, as some of the issues they had at UMass earlier in the season, but Cal did gain 132 yards on five kickoff returns. So that's an area when they go on the road next time, they've got to improve that coverage uh, unit a little bit. Yeah, it's one of those things. I think we talked about this last week. If I'm another special teams coach, I say take it out every single time, no matter what, because I think you're going to break one if you get four or five um, out of there. And it doesn't seem like CU, except for the one play where uh, Ryan Moeller shot down there like uh, out of a cannon yeah. and made an incredible play. Other than that, I haven't seen almost anyone you know make a big play on those kick returns. It seems when they do get them, it's just because they've cornered them out of bounds. So... That's one, That's definitely um, a thing that continues to be uh, a, a weak spot, and I think you could almost you can look at how hard Will Oliver is trying to kick those those balls out of bounds, and I have a feeling you know his leg might be getting worn down from trying to boot those as hard as he can, because uh, as the season has gone on, his kicks have gotten uh, shorter and shorter. Moving along to another low, defense and spots. There were times the defense looked really good. Other times they looked horrible. And sometimes they looked pretty good. And Jared Goff is really a really good passer, one of the better in the Pac-12. And there were a few touchdown passes he threw that I was like, okay, those kind of reminds me of the, the UMass pass to the tight end late in the first half where no one's really going to be able to defend that. Um, but... By and large, the defense gives up 59 points. Yeah, it went to double overtime. That's simply going to have to fall into the lows category, especially when you allow the Golden Bears to convert 60% on third down, many times on third and long. That was primarily the issue I took away from the defensive side of the ball. That was the number one issue for me, too. It seems so many times um, they had them in the down and distance that they want, and you know they send the blitz, and it just doesn't work, and there's a guy running free. And, you know, even in overtime, they had him on third and 10 um, from the 25, I think. And uh, they let someone open over the top for a wide open touchdown. And those are just the things that you can't do if you're going to win these games. Um, you got to keep teams well under 50% on third down, um, especially uh, a team like Cal that's so explosive and can score. Um, I feel like the defense was almost, they either got them three and out or they gave up a touchdown. And it was one of those things where I think this Cal offense, once it starts rolling, it really starts rolling, and this uh, defense just couldn't keep up with it. And uh, keeping uh, with the defense in terms of this uh, Lowe's category for re recapping the, the Cal game, you look at Cal, if it's not for a 92-yard run by Daniel Lasco early in the second quarter, you hold this dynamic Cal offense to seven points going into to halftime. That play in particular was really tough to watch. They had many opportunities. They, basically, they missed four tackles on the play. And three of them, three of those guys coming in to make the tackle, had the opportunity to make this for basically a minimal game. Yeah, that was a, a head scratcher, to say the very least. Um, I hate to zero in on one guy because so many guys made bad plays on that play. But Addison Gillum just did not look like the Addison Gillum that we know on that play especially. He seemed... He kind of jogged over there, and he took a horrible angle, ran right past the guy, and, you know, um, took out one of his own players and allowed the cutback. And, you know, that's just one of those plays that you just look at it and say, wow, uh, this team still does have a little bit of a ways to go. Yeah. And, you know, obviously on the next kickoff, Philip Lindsay fumbles it, and I thought, oh, 
God, here we go again. Luckily, <laughs> they fell on it. But um, well, you knew Philip Lindsay was gonna. He's so relentless. You knew he was gonna fumble it at least once in that kickoff return roll. You just hope it's that one time, and it's a time where you actually recover the fumble. Yeah, it, it, I tweeted, and I was like, that was almost the most Colorado football sequence of plays ever, because it just seems like we've seen that so many times on the road. Big play, fumble, then another big play, and then the game's over. But again, they they, they show fight that they haven't before, So, but uh, we're talking about lows here, so we'll continue with this. Christian Powell, Michael Atkins and Philip Lindsay combined for just 26 yards on 15 carries. Sefo Lufau and T- Tony Jones, conversely, rushed for 155 yards on 23 rushing attempts. I-, I tweeted this out last night. I don't think I ever envisioned that happening, that that combination as far as Christian Powell, Michael Atkins, and Philip Lindsay struggling to that extent, and then Sefo and Tony Jones with that big of a game on the ground. Yeah, it- it's uh, something... That's interesting to me because it seemed like just a couple weeks ago we were talking about this team finding their groove running the ball. Um, If you remember, they ran it really well in the second half of UMass, and they ran the ball really well against Arizona State. And you think to yourself, all right, well, they've finally got it. You know, the the run blocking is coming through. And uh, the last two games, it's just been ugly to watch them try and block because it's they're not really blocking. And it seems like the running backs are running into walls. So um, I don't want to blame, you know, Christian Powell, Michael Adkins, and Philip Lindsay too much when I just don't think there's anywhere for them to run. Um, but then, I mean, I guess you look at Tony Jones, and he was making plays out there, you know, over five yards a carry. Um, he's really come along this year. I used to have a big issue with him not cutting up at the right time, and especially yesterday, he made all the right yeah. cuts. So that was really, really good to see. Um, I think he needs to definitely uh, move up to maybe the number one back on this depth chart. Between his vision and his running downhill, it's like a com- watching a completely different back this year because those were the issues with him in the past. He would dance around, like you said, and not make those right cuts. So we've seen a totally different Tony, Tony Jones early on this season. I think he's got his degree in hand, and he's just kind of playing with house money at this point. Yeah. And he went over the 1,000-yard mark for his career. Yeah, and Michael Adkins is – is confusing to me whatever's going on there you, you know you have we haven't really heard about any injury but he's running so tentatively that you know it looks like something's wrong with him it, you know it's almost like Christian Powell last year when he had those divers after yeah. Cabra he wasn't you know he didn't seem confident out there um I did like seeing them use uh Adkins in the screen role because I think he's the probably the best guy they have in, in, uh at that role but he also dropped one yeah, I was wondering if that play maybe would get him going going forward here. Because his next uh, carry was a good – I think he got a carry on the next play and took it for six or seven yards. Yes. Yeah. He, he had an ankle injury against CSU. Now, no one's using that as an excuse. I, and uh, Clayton Adams, the running backs and tight ends coach, told me that he's getting – he's healthy. So I don't – if they're not using that as, as an excuse, I don't think we can, you know, in terms of evaluating what they're doing when they're out there. And if they're – they're out there on game day. They got to be held to whatever happens when they're on the field uh, if they're healthy enough to be out there. Just lastly, before we wrap up this show, you know, you talk about a game where you, you make so many plays, but you're so close to a win. And just if one of one more of those goes in your direction, you walk away with a road win, and everybody's feeling great about the direction of this program. I think, by and large, people are still feeling pretty good about the direction of this program. But uh, 
you have the inability to win this game and turn the corner as a program. So you're continuing to talk about moral victories. And that's, at some point, got to go away. Yeah, I think um, that's the next step for Mike McIntyre to teach this team is how to win. Um, I don't know if they know how to win right now and, you know, put their foot down and say, all right, we're up, uh, you know, 28-14 or, that, you know, I think it was even, it was 21-7, right? It was uh, 21-7 at the end of the first quarter. Yeah, so it was 21-7. At some point, you know, um, I don't want to uh, sound like I'm uh, making fun of our cow rider. Sometimes you got to uh, learn how to clown stomp the team. Oh, no. here. You didn't just go there, right? <laughs> so um, I think that's the teaching moment for Mike McIntyre, to teach them how to put a team away because they, don't, they haven't had many opportunities to do that. So, I prefer foot to the throat. Okay, you, you don't like you don't like stomping clowns. No, 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 that's horrible. <laughs> so uh, you know, I think um, that's what they have to learn next. They learned how to fight. Now they got to learn how to win. And obviously, they didn't have that instinct yesterday. They've got another chance. Oregon State comes to town. This is a pretty good Oregon State. Like this is like a a six or seven win Oregon State. Team. They had a really easy non-conference schedule. They they breezed through that. We see them go out to USC and they, they lose out there. But they show flashes in that USC game where you go, okay, this is not going to be an easy win for Colorado without question. So um, another test for the CU secondary against Sean Mannion, one of, one of the more efficient quarterbacks in the, the country, really. So we're going to get into the Oregon State game, obviously, as we get into game week here. We've uh, already gone kind of long with this podcast, and we'll talk a lot about Oregon State. Thanks for tuning in. Some highs and lows to take from this Colorado game against Cal. Uh, we'll see if they can continue to, to move forward in the right direction next week against Oregon State.